Welcome to Horror Comics Podcast, episode 13. Oh, we finally got that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Zombie 2 soundtrack. Uh, the great Lucio Fulci, Fulci, however you want to say it, Fulci. People have corrected me in both ways, being like, it's Fulci. And I'm like, well, it's spelled Fulci. And they say, well, it's pronounced Fulci. And I'll say, well, it's F-U-L-C-I. And they're like, it doesn't matter. It's Fulci. And I'll say, well, I say Lucio Fulci. And, you know, either way, it doesn't matter because I, Zombie 2 uh, is one that I, that movie holds such a special place in my heart uh, for a lot of different reasons. I worked at a Hollywood video uh, movie rental store. Um, if you're too young to know what that is, fucking Google it. Uh, that was one that had not been released on DVD yet. So it was there on VHS. That's how I found it because I saw the cover of it with, you know, with the zombie with the worms coming out of its eyes. And the tagline at the bottom is, We are going to eat you. And the moment that I saw that, I knew that I needed to have that movie. So, of course, I rented it, I put it in. The old VCR, Uh, if you don't know what that is and you're too young to know, fucking Google it. Um, So this music starts playing. There's a cold open there, but I say cold. It's the whole movie is a slow burn. It's one of those movies, you know, it's it's an Italian made movie with like the American ADR and all that shit. But God, there's something about this movie and a lot of it has to do with the soundtrack. It really does. Uh, it's uh, Fabio uh, uh, Frizzy, Freezy, uh, Fabio Freezy, however you want to say his name, or her name. I don't know. It could be a female for all I know. But this soundtrack is one of, it's probably my favorite horror movie soundtrack. And it's really that theme song that's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. That. Um, in our, I've done songwriting sessions with different types of musicians and, you know, we've, I've always brought up like, Hey, you guys know there's this thing that we could turn into this really cool thing and make it kind of modern. But it's always the hesitation of like, yeah, but someone's probably going to try to rap over it and that would make it kind of dumb. But at the same time, you know, if the right person were to rap over it, it could be kind of fucking cool, you know? Uh, so it's it's a weird thing. I've always had that in the back of my head to try to make that a thing. Um, I've worked on it a couple of times with a couple of different people, and it just didn't work, so we'll see what happens. But either way, um, Zombie 2 is awesome. I, you know, like I said, I, I used to rent that from the Hollywood video that I worked at, and it was such a bummer because... I went on tour, and while I was on tour, it was announced that, you know, Hollywood videos and some, you know, different video rental franchises were being shut down or bought out and closed out over here and over there. And I remember coming home from tour and going to, you know, the Hollywood video that I worked at, and there was huge, you know, they were, they were just basically selling their VHSs for nothing just to get rid of them, to make room for the new wave of all the movies that were being re-released on DVD and all that stuff. But the Zombie 2 VHS that I'd watched so many times 
was gone. It had to have. It was gone. Somebody had gotten it. Somebody who hopefully appreciates. Ooh, appreciated it as much as I do, or did. You know, at the time, um, hopefully got it. And it's just one of those movies where you know the the most gruesome thing is like an eye being slowly pulled towards a sharp object, and you think it's going to be stopped at the last minute. But it's not. The eye gets jabbed into this wooden, you know, shard and gouged into. And of course, the graphics are dated and stuff. But it's still cringy. It makes your bones hurt. Um, but there's also this great moment where a woman goes uh, kind of scuba diving, I guess. But she's also like naked, which, you know, that's horror movies post, um, you know, mid 2000s but this is in the 70s like i said 79 she goes scuba diving for some reason i can't remember what the even per if there might not have even been a purpose but of course you know a shark does start coming around for some reason but then a a zombie comes a swimming up and the zombie and the shark fight and the zombie starts biting chunks off the shark and that is just like nerd horror sci-fi orgasm right there it's hilarious uh but anyway so if you haven't seen zombie by lucio fucci go check it out it's uh it's definitely one of those great old school italian zombie horror movies that is uh i mean it's a cult classic for sure that's that's not one of like the hidden ones but you know when i found it i didn't know anything about italian horror italian zombie movies or anything like that i didn't know who dario argento was at the time um in fact you know watching this movie led me to see movies like demons and suspiria and you know the list goes on and on but uh that's uh that's a whole different topic for a different day but i did want to give um a quick update um i talked about before um Reggie from Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, who is, you know, I'll, I'll just say it again. It, they, they were a huge, huge, or I say were, they are a huge influence on me starting this podcast. Um, I, it's, I think it's my favorite podcast, you know. They, they go through a lot of comics history, and if you've heard me go through this spill before, well, just deal with it because I'm going to do it again. Um they do a ton of research. They do a ton, I can't stress it enough, a ton of fucking research uh, into the artists, into the writers, into the publishers, the history of all of them. And they give you all of that breakdown and then they give you a comic book story. And when they tell you the story, it is so damn entertaining uh, and they don't always do just that. Sometimes they'll just talk through, you know, whatever. And they and they've got um, a fantastic Patreon page uh, where they, you know, will just talk through, you know, talking points of being a fan or being a collector and and different, uh, you know, things here and there. And it's fantastic. Go find uh, Chris and Reggie's uh, Cosmic Treadmill on Patreon, please. And uh, more, you know, more so go find Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill uh, on, on, you know, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But you heard me talk about before that uh, Reggie had had taken um, he's been going through some 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 really bad health 
uh, problems. Um, it was really scary. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'll say, I'm not close with Reggie by any means. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you like, you listen to someone so many times and we've interacted on Twitter here and there, um, on my personal account, but we're, I mean, it's not like, I feel like if someone said my name to him, he would not know who I am and that's fine. I wouldn't expect him to, but I'm just trying to say, I'm not like trying to plug my pals. It's genuinely an influence, uh, for me. Um, and he had, Reggie had some, some, some rough times, uh, with some medical issues that had, had come up and, uh, it was very scary. Um, I think all of us that are, you know, listeners, and I know that people that I know who are friends with him, uh, really, really were, you know, everyone was banded together, really hoping for the best, you know, a uh, really scary time. And man, what the fuck else would you expect? But Reggie came, he's, he's coming back. He, he's doing, he's doing so much better. Um, um, and I'm just relaying very simply what I've been hearing from Weird Science and from Chris and Reggie's uh, iTunes, um, you know, feed and the Patreon and whatnot. But he's he's doing a lot better um, and possibly will be returning to podcasting uh, in August. And that is such good news. And it's very uh, heartwarming. You know, like I said, for me, I, I, I've totally view myself as a fan um, and, um, I hope that doesn't like demean, like, I guess how I feel about it because I, it, he's a great dude and has a great podcast with Chris. Um, they're fantastic. Chris has still been putting content out, which I don't know, like that's dude, that's awesome. <laughs> Good on you for like being able to like, you know, keep it together and do it. That's awesome. I just want to send out all of, uh, you know, all the, whatever the kudos, that means nothing. I know it's internet points are bullshit, but just seriously, that's awesome. And, um, even more so to Reggie for fucking coming back and, and, and kicking that shit in the ass and, and just, uh, man, we, we can't wait to hear from you. And like I said, if you're listening to this podcast, um, I'm only here because of Chris and Reggie's cosmic treadmill and, um, I highly recommend go 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 check that podcast out if you love comics history. Now I know I focus on horror. They cover the entire they 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 run the gamut on that shit. Um, so anyway, that was just good news, and I wanted to share it. I'm I'm late on that good news. By the time this episode lands, um, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. If for some reason you heard me say that you're not listening to their podcast, uh, just an update. Um, Reggie is, he's, he's bounced so, so incredibly bounced back in such an incredible way. And it's, uh, warms my heart and I cannot wait to hear him, uh, you know, grace the old, uh, internet airwaves. I, I, don't, I don't know what you call, what do you call them these days? If it's not the radio, um, either way, I can't wait to hear him back, uh, where he belongs on that cosmic treadmill, treadmill, just, just running, chugging along and, and telling us all the shit we didn't think we needed to know but we totally needed to know and we're so much better for it so uh just another shout out to um chris and reggie thank you so much for what you do i wouldn't be here without you um i really wouldn't be doing this podcast without you you know um 
that's like I, I've said it a million times on here before. Like that's you're the inspiration. No, but for real, like you listening to your podcast and your Patreon, which I'm proudly supporting, um, inspired me to go on this horror comics podcast journey. Now I know my format has changed here and there. It's up and down and I just do radio show version or I just talk through it or now I'm just kind of in documentary version. Uh, either way, you know, um, uh, I wouldn't be pursuing this and I have a, the important part is I have a ton of fun doing it and talking about it, even though I'm just talking into a microphone, you know, to myself, I have a great time doing it. Um, it's an outlet for me, and uh, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill are the inspiration for this specific podcast. And uh, anyway, so I just want to deliver, you know, that good news that Reggie is is kicking ass, and he's he's on his way back. He's he's climbing back up. He's just training. He's like freaking Rocky out in the uh, in the burning heart, just about to burst. There's a place for answers, and I don't know the words. Anyway, any just trigger any kind of like Rocky montage music. Picture Reggie, even if we don't know what he looks like, just like trucking along and getting stronger, like Rocky, and getting ready to just hop back on that treadmill and take us back in time, and and teach us along with Chris. Anyway, okay, I'm done gushing. I'm done. I swear to God, we're gonna get back to the main story, uh, which we are here to talk about terrology from tales too terrible to tell. And where we're picking up here is chapter four, Ajax Farrell and comic media. Beginning this issue, we will focus our attention specifically on individual pre-code horror publishers. We will present detailed overviews of two companies every issue. So this time around, we direct our attention to one quote-unquote biggie, Ajax Farrell, and one smaller outfit, Comic Media. Ajax Farrell and Comic Media are among my favorite pre-code horror publishers because of their garish, caustic, and unrepentant approach to producing horror comics. There's nothing subtle about the creative process here. Ajax Farrell and Comics Media, or Comic Media rather, stories never appear in the adjectival guises of educational or classic or moralistic. While evil often gets its just reward in the end, these tales can hardly be justified as comic book morality plays. Even when the bad guy does pay the penalty, lots of good guys have suffered horrendously along the way. Furthermore, in several stories, the bad guys get away scot-free. Comic book horror stories can be simplistically classified into two categories, what I like to call fuzzy and sharp. These terms apply both to plot and art. Fuzzy stories have murky drawings with complex storylines, which tend to conclude without complete, critics would say satisfactory, resolution. Graham Ingalls is a fuzzy artist. Bernie uh, Kriegstein, or Kriegstein, or Kriegstein, whoever, however you say that, I'm not good with names, is usually fuzzy. Sharp stories offer clear delineations in artwork and plots, which proceed inexorably into a crisp and exact conclusion. Johnny Craig and Jack Davis are sharp artists. Remarkably, I found that one or the other of these descriptions applies to most comic book horror stories, Ajax Farrell stories are almost always sharp. 
In comic media comics, sharp stories dominate, but fuzzy work appears on occasion, often in the hands of Rudy Pelaeus. Pelaeus, I guess. Ajax Farrell's line of horror comics was born in May of 1952. Comic media's output began in September of the same year. The companies are quite distinct in style and content, as will become apparent in this column. However, there is also evidence that Ajax Farrell and comic media were related in a legal sense at some time. This will be discussed shortly also. So we have Ajax Farrell uh, published 64 comics, horror comics in six titles from May 1952 to February of 1955. We have Fantastic Fears number 7, 8 and 3 through 9. Fantastic Comics number 10 and 11. Haunted Thrills numbers 1 through 18. Strange Fantasies number 2 and then 2 again and then through 14. Voodoo, numbers 1 through 19, and Voodoo Annual, number 1. Ajax appears for the first time on comic covers with the July through August 1954 issues. Prior to that, the company's comics bore the legend, a pharaoh publication. Ajax publications were among the minority of pre-code horror comics, which do not show the numbers on the cover. They do show the month of the publication, but not the year. Ajax Farrell was founded by Robert W. Farrell, who is credited... As the publisher, the corporate owner, sorry, <clears throat> the corporate ownership situation is a bit more complicated. Students of pre-code horror rapidly become familiar with the bewildering confusion of corporate ownership in this world. For complex reasons involving perhaps both tax savings and legal protection, pre-code horror publishers would typically place their individual titles under ownership of several different corporations. That's, uh, that's still a thing that happens, but uh, in the case of Ajax, Fantastic Fears and Voodoo are owned by something called Four Star Publications Incorporated. Strange Fantasy and Haunted Thrills are owned by Feral Comics, Inc. By mid-1953, a company named Deerfield Publishing Co., Inc. gets involved. What's interesting is that this last company also, also appears in ownership statements for comic media. More on that later. Ajax Farrell's art director is listed as I.M. Iger. That makes sense since most stories appearing in these comics were drawn by the Iger shop. This was a studio of artists maintained by Jerry Iger, whose employees produced thousands of pages of comic art for various companies in the 1930s through the 1950s. Iger artists had a standard look and feel, and this makes it almost impossible to credit individuals for any specific story. Outside of one Steve Ditko story, a couple of Bob Powell, several nice offerings by Matt Baker, a crime reprint by L.B. Cole, and the work of three or four artists I'm still trying to track down, I've been unable to credit Ajax Farrell stories to any other than Iger Shop. The Iger Shop specialized in good girl art, quote-unquote, particularly involving jungle environments and the studio's work appears frequently in jungle titles from publishers like Fiction House, Fox, and Star. Ajax occasionally purchased straight jungle stories for their horror comics. Several appear in Voodoo, a title which, while absolutely meeting my requirements for pre-code horror status, had enough trappings of a jungle comic to make one wonder at times. Ajax horror titles also included straight crime stories on occasion. I suspect some of these are reprints from other publishers, but have not been able to track them down yet. 
Speaking of good girl art, Ajax Farrell's editors recognized the appeal of pultritude in selling comics to male juveniles. This is apparent in most of their stories, which abound with leggy and sexy females being pestered by mad scientists, evil maniacs, warped old men, as well as supernatural creatures like werewolves, vampires, and demons. Ajax horror comics are well-populated by such metaphysical monsters. Demons of every sort are common. The devil and his followers make regular appearances, and several stories take place and or end up in Hades. Jesus Christ, quote-unquote, appears in Haunted Thrills number 14 to counter Satan's influence over a derelict who... Derelict who uses the trumpet of or yeah the trumpet of doom to raise the dead and terrorize a city in many ways the story trumpet of doom is just odd enough to be or, sorry in many ways the story trumpet of doom is just odd enough to be typical of ajax feral output the impact of ajax stories is found more in the outlandish plots strange settings garish colors and moody uh, pretentious atmospheres than in ex- excesses of violence mayhem or gore However, this isn't meant to imply that Ajax doesn't go to extremes at times. Two of the Ajax stories reprinted in this tale's Too Terrible to Tale, Fiends from the Crypt, with its loathsome underground monsters, and Hollow Horror, immortalized forever as the decapitation of Papercutter story, which we haven't covered those yet, so they're kind of giving us some spoilers here, are examples of extremism. But neither goes into the literary limits, which got publishers like EC into trouble. Well, that's because they were seriously just going after EC and Warren, pretty much. Fiends from the Crypt is too cartoony to be truly troubling, and Hollow Horror borders on the farcical. It's important to note that both carefully and unrealistically, I might add, avoid depiction of blood and gore in the telling of these quite gruesome tales. Black Death? The third Ajax story in this issue is a good example of the company's jungle monster theme, which appears occasionally in its horror comics. It's also a classic example of Iger Shop good girl art, complete with a legs protruding from panel scene on page four. Another classic example of leg art appears in Devil's Ballet from Haunted Thrills number 17. The story originally appeared in Comics Media Horrific number one as the Dancer of Death. While reprinting stories within the publisher's output, it's not uncommon in the pre-code horror era. Comic media did it often. This is a rare case of a cross-publisher reprint. Now, let's move on to title-by-title reviews of Ajax Farrell. Note that in terms of art styles and story themes, Ajax's four titles are essentially interchangeable. But there are some subtle differences which are worthy of note. Note that references to particular issues and stories are all subjective and frequently the product of my own preferences and prejudices. Furthermore, recommendations are limited due to the inevitable limitation of space. Many issues not mentioned will contain stories which you may find equally or more interesting. When terrology finally appears in complete form, no interesting stories will go unmentioned. Haunted Thrills. I consider this to be Ajax's flagship title. While it began one month after Voodoo and ran one issue fewer, Voodoo has a few too many straight jungle stories to qualify as the quintessential Ajax horror comic. That honor goes to Haunted Thrills. In terms of money, or cost I guess, for the most part all Ajax horror comics may be recommended as interesting pre-code horror comics at quite reasonable prices. 
Now, let's make some specific recommendations about individual issues, especially worth spending money for. Horror Thrills, or sorry, Haunted Thrills number two contains a house ad which promotes five non-existent titles in addition to the four we've come to know and love. These five phantoms are Dark Shadows, Bewitched, Dark Journey, Strange, and in the inanely named Suspooks. These comics may have been on the Ajax drawing board, but they never came into being, at least not in the pre-code era. Strange, or Dark Shadows and Strange appeared as postcode Ajaxes in 1957, along with a comic named Strange Journey. Both lasted only three to six issues apiece. Thank heaven a horror comic named Suspooks was never inflicted upon the world. Issue number five. In addition to a superb but somewhat formulaic cover depicting a giant skull with ghouls emerging from its cavities, contains three neat stories. House of Chills, about a maniac butcher in the 19th century, or in, ni- in a 19th century German village. Uh, Hands of Terror, all about murder and ghosts in the Old South. And the especially noteworthy Fatal Scalpel. This vicious tale is about a drunken plastic surgeon who finally gets his more than just desserts for botching operations. I can't wait to find out what that is. Issues 7 and 11 contain horror tales with a Nazi theme. In number 7, Screams in the Night, Adolf Hitler, prowling about post-war occupied Germany, recruits a surgeon to alter his features. And number 11's Out of the Grave, an evil Nazi... Hold on, get smudged. Text here. An an evil Nazi colonel suffers retribution, it looks like, for making a pair of boots out of the skin of a concentration camp. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Out of the skin of a concentration camp victim. The brutality of the Nazi regime, particularly manifested in the death camps, was fertile fodder for most publishers of pre-code horror as you'll see in future issues of this book. In Haunted Thrills, number 13, Experiment in Terror investigates an age-old question. Does love conquer all? The prototypical mad scientist wants to determine whether true love can overcome the demands of basic animal needs like hunger. The story also incidentally resolves the issue of hunger versus the ancient taboo against cannibalism. Hmm, this issue is pretty perverse. In Death to His Part, a female gorilla, quote-unquote, courts a human explorer and tries to kill his wife when he rejects her, the ape, that is. In the final issue, number 18, No Place to Go, relates the fascinating adventure of a dead man rejected both by heaven and hell. Apparently, the problem is that while alive, Wilbur never did anything particularly good or particularly bad. The afterlife, or <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at there. There are uh, comic book panels here as examples, but they're not necessarily uh, tied directly to what we're reading. So it's, some of this has thrown me off. Um, so it says uh, the afterlife placement service has nothing to go on. He gets sent back to do something of significance, either good or bad, I guess, to figure out where he's going to go. Strange fantasy. Strange Fantasy started and ended around the same dates as Haunted Thrills. The title produced four fewer issues because it remained bi-monthly throughout its run, unlike HT, which came out monthly for a period in 1953. 
The first two issues of Strange Fantasy are both listed as number two in their indicia. This is because the publication was retitled from Rocket Man after one issue. Ajax Comics never carried numbers on their covers, only the month. So maybe the customers were not confused by this duplication. So, or however, I remember reading a letter in an EC fanzine many years ago where a fan expressed frustration in not being able to locate any of the first 11 issues of Vault of Horror. Vault of Horror started with number 12. That just goes into all that pre-code numbering and all those weird post office, all that shit. Issue number seven contains one of the best Ajax stories ever, Nightmare Merchant. This eight-page blockbuster relates the homey adventure of a typical American couple who buy a house, which just happens to be on the route of a blood delivery service for vampires, and wait till the delivery man comes to collect his bill. I think we've talked about that story on this show. I could be wrong. Maybe it's a similar one, but um, I think we've talked about that one. Issue 10 contains another classic entitled Bloody Mary, a quote-unquote bad seed, remember the movie, type tale about a nasty little girl, in parentheses, named strangely sister, who cold-bloodedly kills her foster mother and feigning in innocence and sweetness, blames it all on the foster dad, who jurisdictionally is hung as a result. After stabbing a suspicious psychiatrist to death, she returns to the orphanage to await placement with another family. Uh, since this devil's child appears to get away with her crimes, this story cries out for a sequel. But sequels virtually never happen in these days of pre-code horror. Bloody Mary is a must-read. Fantastic Fears is Ajax's shortest-running horror comic. The title started about a year after its sisters. Uh, the first issue bears the number seven, the result of a title change from Captain Jet. The second issue is number eight, logically. Then the numbering reverts correctly to number three. The title changes to Fantastic Comics, with no fears on it, for the last two issues. The cover, the cover subtitle blurb also changes from the enticing Tales of Stalking Terror to the trite Tales of Enchantment. Oh, isn't that nice? In number 10 for November slash December of 1954. And Amazing Adventures in the final issue, number 11, for January, February 1955. Whether this title change is due to problems with censorship or is unclear. Certainly, Ajax's other titles contain words like strange and haunted. Sorry, let me go back. Certainly, Ajax's other titles containing words like strange and haunted were unaffected. Let's digress to discuss this title change for a second. While none of the other Ajax titles were altered, two had their subtitles changed and one was canceled around the same time. Yes, Voodoo's subtitle, Weird Fantastic Tales, for 17 issues, changed to Astounding Fantasy in number 18 for November and December of 1954. And finally, to Tales of Jungle Magic in the subsequent and last one. The title changed to the All Jungle Voodoo format one issue later, as discussed shortly. Haunted Thrills covers... Sorry. Haunted... Haunted... Th oh my goodness, I cannot function right now. Haunted Thrills covers carried the blurb Tales of Horror and Terror for 17 issues. The final issue, number 18 for November of 1954, promoted itself as Tales of Strange Suspense. Finally, Strange Fantasy, 
always cover blurbed as Eerie Tales of Suspense was canceled with the October... Oh boy, got a little bit of a snafu here in the typing. But it's canceled with the October slash November 1954 issue. What does this all mean? Well, clearly Ajax was taking preventative action against problems which might arise when the Comics Code went into effect in 1955. The Code, a self-regulatory censorship pact voluntarily agreed to by comics publishers and newsstand distributors, was designed as part of an effort to keep at least a miserable rump of the comics uh, industry alive. It failed, as most publishers in business in 1954 did. Oh, wait, sorry. As most publishers in 1954 did not survive to 1956, the Code specifically banned the words crime, horror, terror, and weird— from the titles of comic books. Many interpreted this as a specific attack on EC, which had four major <laughs> major titles bearing these words. So, not quite a conspiracy theory, just maybe a conspiracy. Obviously, Ajax Farrell changed, over, changed cover subtitles, which contained the same no-no words. While fear wasn't specifically banned, Ajax probably dropped it from the Fantastic Fears because of closeness, to another now pariah EC title, Haunt of Fear. Perhaps Strange Fantasy died because of a similarity to EC's weird fantasy, the answer to why the title was never just changed to Strange. A name Ajax had already advertised as a coming title is probably lost in the sands of time. Okay, enough already with interesting digressions. The second issue of Fantastic Fears contains a great horrified fairy tale entitled Little Red Riding Hood and the Big Bad Werewolf. I always enjoyed this kind of self-spoofing horror parody, especially when it comes to very infrequent doses. Or it comes in very infrequent doses, I should say. It does say, I just misspoke. This tale is introduced by the old crone in her one and only appearance. Comic media made much greater use of horror hosts as with most, or as with most such fractured fairy tales, this particular story ends with an unusual twist. Little Red turns out to have a sinister secret, at least as dark as that of Elmer the Werewolf. Fantastic Fears number 8, or number 2 with the renumbering, also contains Fiends from the Crypt, which appears in complete form in this issue of Tales Too Terrible to Tell. The story Carnival of Terror features cobras with human heads, human beings being transformed into snakes, and half-snakes is a recurrent theme in Ajax comics. Ironically, the cover of Fantastic Fears number 3 depicts a snake charmer with a basket of cobra humans. Uh, One would suspect that the cover was actually intended for the previous issue. This happened several times in Ajax titles. One can only wonder if story and cover art were being contracted out in a haphazard manner and the results were uncoordinated in this in this way such poor synchronization between cover art and story content was pretty common in pre-code horror comics fantastic fears number four offers devil's sketchbook introduced by the hex master this vaguely interesting character is another which i'm sorry (laughs) got off the wrong line completely this vaguely interesting character is another ajax horror host who never appears again. The tale has panels which look like the work of Bob Powell, but I'm not certain of this. Uh, Powell, a fine artist, maintained his own studio, and many stories attributed to him are the 
composite work of several unknown artists. I would love to hear from anyone who can credit this story with certainty. Although I would say it might be kind of cool to read an anthology horror comic that has a different host every time that you never see again. And they have to come up with new, you know, new hosts every time. A new sort of storyteller every time. That could be a fun, challenging kind of thing for a writer to do. But I'm getting off my own tangent here outside of the book. Anyway, that's just an idea. It could be cool. Issue 5 is very interesting in that it contains a story, Stretching Things, written by Bruce Hamilton, editor of modern-day comics company Hamilton Comics, and drawn by Steve Ditko. The Overstreet Price Guide has noted this tale of a crook with plastic man-type powers as the first Ditko story. It may or not be. His work in prize mag- or sorry, Prize's Black Magic comics may be earlier, but this notation... Sorry, I'm having a hard time. Some of these lines, I'm telling you, my book got smudged in like the heat of like a mail truck or something. Uh, let's see. Type Powers says the first Ditko story. It may or may not be his work in Prize's Black Magic comics may be earlier, but this notation has been or has made Fantastic Fears number five. Yep, that's the one we're talking about. Uh, an extremely difficult book to find. It took me over six years to locate a copy, and I have yet to be able to find a second one. Bruce Hamilton relates the background of how this story bounced from Gilmore to Ajax Farrell in a letter in Tales Too Terrible to Tale number two. How's that for a back issue plug, he says. Fantastic Fears number six contains hollow horror, the notorious decapitation by paper cutter story offered here in its entirety. Enough said. Issue 7 offers an unusual tale entitled I the Coffin, a first-person account of the life of an oak casket from living tree to final burial. Philosophically profound and spiritually moving, perhaps, but not particularly horrifying. Finally, issue number 9 offers a nifty little horror story. There's no 8. Where is it? I think we moved it back from the first one when it went back and said 8 or 2. Um... And it's a little horror story, Deadly Wish, in which Satan teases poor Wilbur Cox, who looks similar to the Wilbur Cummings who meets Satan in Haunted Thrills, number 18, by alternately providing and denying him wealth and power until he cracks. We move on to Voodoo. Voodoo is the odd sister of the Ajax horror line. While the title cannot be denied classification as a horror comic, at least a dozen pure jungle and crime stories appear in the pages of its 19 issues. That isn't so bad. Fewer than half a story per issue on average. But it's a lot more than can be found in Haunted Thrills, etc. I suspect Voodoo was targeted to a multifaceted market while primarily designed for the horror fan. Its publisher also hoped to rope in the jungle crime and good girl art fanatics. The jungle stories, several with fine Matt Baker art, uh, appear mostly in the first eight issues. These tend to be a bit pricey, in the Overstreet Guide, early issues of Voodoo are among the most expensive Ajax comics. Voodoo number two guides for twice the price of Haunted Thrills number two. The only reason I can figure is the uh, Rula reprint story by Baker. While they are all excellent horror comics, and Baker's Good Girl art is among the best ever printed on the under the under comic book covers, sorry, I would tend to recommend the other Ajax titles as better buys for the budget-minded pre-code horror fan. 
Voodoo Number no. 5 offers a particularly graphic tale of concentration camp horror. Corpses of the Jury. The evil Nazi commandant ends up flayed alive by the ghost of his victims. Interesting how pre-code horror publishers would frequently use the death camps as subject matter for horror stories, but almost invariably, they never identified the camp inmates as Jews or Gypsies or Poles or Slavs, etc. Notable exception is the Bernie Kriegstein all-universe classic Master Race from EC's Impact No. 1, a story in a league all to itself, as horror comics go. I guess politics and horror storytelling just don't mix. Oh, but they do. That's me. I said, oh, but they do. And I think, you know, tales too terrible to tell. They know that as well. Voodoo number six contains Killer Lady, a story with some very unladylike decapitated heads. This tale, drawn by an artist which I'm still trying to identify with the initials JD, violates Ajax's unwritten taboo against showing gore. And you do see a woman holding the severed head of a man saying mine mine at last after all the struggle the most beautiful i've ever seen that's the ending uh panel from voodoo number six voodoo number seven offers a super story with the singularly dull title goodbye dot 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 world about an invasion of our world by harpies from outer space super splash see next page the artist bizarre the artist's bizarre and moody work appears repeatedly in pre-code horror comics, yet I've been unable to identify him by name. Anyone out there know his moniker? Free six-issue subscription to Tales Too Terrible to Tell for the first person to identify him with proof. This obviously is uh, an expired offer. In Voodoo number eight, we encounter more bloody severed heads in the ghostly guillotine. Sorry, my God, the ghostly guillotine as well as a killer robot toy and Satan's plaything. Dollars and Doom offers some superb Matt Baker art in, horrific, in a horrific crime story. Hmm. These early issues of Voodoo are pretty good. After all, might well be worth the money. Hmm. Voodoo number 10 offers Mask of the Monster, an interesting tale about a comic script writer working for fictional Acme Comics with an X. The writer's abilities are being severely criticized by the editor who just happens to be a woman. That's odd by itself in the world of 1950s comic publishing. Very few female comics professionals were to be found. Of course, the fact that Ruth Roach was the editor at Ajax Farrell might have something to do with it. This smacks of a... Sorry, this smacks of being a kind of inside joke. The story in and of itself isn't all that great. What's of interest is the self-referential nature of this comic story. In this era, it's rare. In Voodoo number 11, The King of Hades, it's is about a gangster who tries to outsmart Satan and muscle into the devil's territory. He fails. What a surprise, eh? Number 14 contains Corpse, Coast to Coast, the fascinating saga of a world taken over by the un, or sorry, the united world of zombies. The undead discover the advantages of unionization. <laughs> oh Jesus. And with the use of nuclear weapons, which, as is explained, can't kill zombies, of course, because they're already dead. Make the world safe for zombieocracy. Wacko, wacko, wacko. But great. In Voodoo number 16's Horror Unlimited, little demon-like creatures called wudgies seduce some kids. Look, Daddy, aren't they cute? We love them. And drive their parents crazy with their malicious antics. The Voodoo Annual is one of a small group of oversized 25-cent horror reprint comics to come out of the 1950s. 
Note for young comics historians, in those days, all regular comics sold for a dime. Reprint is a misnomer here. Actually, several coverless comics were glued together under a new cover as a means of disposing of unsold leftovers. Voodoo Annual Number 1, 96 pages plus covers, contains three comics, all first issues. Haunted Thrills Number 1, Strange Fantasy Number 2, slash Number 1, and Voodoo Number 1. Actually, Ajax was kind of cheap. EC's annuals offer four comics, 128 pages for the same price. Upon the comics code, Voodoo became Vuda with Number 20. Vuda is an all-jungle comic starring Vuda, sexy jungle girl. So you can have sex, but not violence. That's that's still, I mean, you can have violence these days, but you usually can't have them both together or you won't get a proper rating in your movie. Um, I don't know how it works with comics because they still don't tread that line too often with mainstream stuff, but who knows? Lots of fine art by Baker, but not a horror comic, so enough said already. Voodoo was the only remnant from the world of Ajax Feral horror comics to survive the comics code devastated pre-code horror in 1955. And what an inadequate remnant it was, given the degree of censorship in comics with the code. I'm actually glad that none of these great Ajax horror titles survived in mindlessly uh, boulderized form. Ajax did introduce the previously mentioned mystery titles, and mystery is a generous adjective here. According to the publisher, it's not me saying that. It's in the book here. It's not It's not me. It's not Chris saying that. I'm telling you. That's, that's them saying that. In 1957, under the Steinway and America's Best Publisher names, none of these lasted very long. So sadly, or none of these lasted very long. So sadly concludes the line of Ajax Farrell pre-code horror comics. So we move on to comic media, which... Published 27 horror comics in three titles from September of 1952 to December of 1954. Got horrific numbers uh, 1 through 13 from September of 52 to 54. And a title changed to Terrific with number 14 in December of 54. And Weird Terror 1 through 13 of September 52 through September 54 as well. Comic media, Comic media. Published only two horror titles, basically. Horrific and Weird Terror. Horrific changed title to Terrific for one issue in late 1954. A title change due to the coming Comics Code ban on the title Horror. Terrific number 14 is not code approved. The first two issues of Horrific have the legal publisher uh, of Artful Publications Incorporated. With number three, the publisher becomes uh, Harwell Associates Incorporated. The last issue, number 13, and Terrific number 14 appear under the ownership of Mystery Publishing Company Incorporated. At uh, the s- same address as Harwell. All issues of Weird Terror appear under the name of Alan Hardy Associates, Associates Incorporated. The neat comic media emblem shown above does not start appearing on covers until Weird Terror number four, March of 1953. And Horrific number seven, September of 53. Weird Terror is su- subtitled Ghostly Tales of Spine Chilling Horror through its run. From number three on, Horrific bears the cover blurb, Weird Tales of... I can't talk. Weird Tales of Terror. Until its title change is reflected in a new, blander one, Thrills Action Adventure. The first two issues of Horrific are very different from the rest of the run. The logo design is dramatically changed with number three. The work of Don Heck, the artist who, as you shall see, is most strongly identified with comic media, does not appear anywhere in Horrific number one or two. Clearly, a real change in editorial as well as ownership capacity took place uh, between Artful Publications and Harwell Associates. Check the cover reproductions elsewhere in this uh, 
issue to see what we mean. Beyond that, what does all this legal mumbo-jumbo mean? Beats me. I'm still struggling with understanding all the uh, abstruse issues of corporate ownership of comic publishers. What's noteworthy is that the ownership statements published in Weird Tear Number 9 and Horrific Number 9 demonstrate that the corporate situation not with... Demonstrate that. Sorry. Let's start back with... Okay, what's noteworthy is that the ownership statements published in Weird Terror number 9 and Horrific number 9 demonstrate that, the corporate situation notwithstanding. I think there's some weird grammar there. Uh, <laughs> something just doesn't flow well for me. Anyway, Alan B. Hardy is the publisher of both titles. Furthermore, the statement credits Deerfield Publishing Company Incorporated as one of the corporate owners. This same corporation is credited as having an interest in ownership uh, statements in all four Ajax Farrell publications. Thus is the extent of my investigation into the murky world of background relationships between th- these pre-code horror publishers. Stay tuned for more details. In terms of style, comic media is quite different from Ajax Farrell. Comic media did not use the Iger shop, and many of its stories may be credited to specific freelance artists by style and or signature. No Ajax Farrell story is ever signed. The majority of the stories are done by the workhouse artists known even to modern Marvel fans as Don Heck. Heck drew and signed every cover of Horrific, Terrific, and Weird Terror, with the exception of the first two Horrifics. Heck's stories appear in most issues of Weird Terror and a couple of Horrifics. While Heck isn't the greatest artist on Earth, Heck, his style works wonderfully in the world of comic media horror. Other noteworthy artists whose stuff appears under the comic media emblem include Rudy uh, Peleus, Marty Elkin, Bill Discount, A.C. Hollingsworth, and Pete Marisi, or Marisi maybe, plus a couple whose first names are unknown to me, Mr. Kirk and Mr. Tukes. Uh, Peleus is easily the best of the bunch, his work invariably showing disgustingly maladjusted human beings who perspire at the drop of, well, the drop of a corpse, which is pretty common, which is a pretty common event in these comics. It's pre-code comic book horror at its best. Uh, Peleus is almost unknown and badly underrated by comic fans to come. To combat this injustice, I offer a complete checklist of his comic media work. Peleus also worked for Harvey Comics, among other publishers. That checklist will, will appear in the future. So the Rudy Peleus comic media checklist. Horrific number 5, 7, 8, and then 9 through 12. Terrific number 14. Weird Terror number 5, 6, 8, 10, 11, and 12. The story in both Horrific 5 and Weird Terror number 10 is Death Kiss, a classic which we presented in number uh, issue three of this series. Note that the story has been recolored. The robot woman who kisses the mad scientist uh, to death wears a red dress in horrific and yellow dress in weird terror. Sneaky, sneaky. Comic media is also different from any pre-code horror publishers in that the company's one and two page text stories are actually worth reading. Publishers in the 1950s included two pages of text in their comics because postal rates were cheaper for subscriptions of periodicals containing two pages of text matter. For most publishers, this text was throwaway. Nobody read it. Comic media text features can be great. I'll note some of the better ones in my title-by-title reviews. Comic media also included a letter column entitled Coffin Corner and Horrific as part of that title's text content. In later issues, while this correspondence never got too profound, it offered contact between reader and creator, rare in this era. Other int- another interesting comic media specialty was the use of horror hosts. While these... Uh, MC types couldn't hold the drool cup of a crypt keeper or an old witch. They do lend a certain amount of character to the company's output. The first and chief host, the Teller of Tales, is introduced in Horrific 8. In the next issue, his underlings are presented. 
Freddie Demon, Gary Ghoul, Victor Vampire, and Walter Werewolf. Okay, sure. So the names are lame. So are the characters. Most stories and subsequent issues are offered by one or more of these half-pint horror hosts. Note that these masters of ceremony never appear in Weird Terror. That, along with the fact that most Don Heck stories show up in Weird Terror, leads me to believe there was a certain amount of editorial independence and separation between the two sister titles. Sisters, but not by any means twins. Note that we did not run any comic media stories in this issue of Tales Too Terrible to Tell. This apparent oversight is the result of having set the content of this issue before its terrorology feature was completed. Also, we have no original artwork from comic media, and at the time the story selection was established, we were less confident in our ability to reproduce from the printed page. However, we did present the previously mentioned classic Death Kiss in issue 3, and I promise to offer at least one more comic media classic next issue. Fair enough? Okay, enough generalities. Here's some specific recommendations about issues you should check out. Please note that all comic media comics are relatively inexpensive as pre-code horror comics go. Though I recommend... Though, sorry, those I recommend here are especially worth the bucks. Horrific. The cover design in Horrific is fairly consistent from issue to issue. Uh, each offers a stunning full-face close-up of either a victim or a perpetrator of some horrible, horrible event. Uh, Weird Terror, on the other hand, features more complex covers with more background and character interaction. The first two horrifics are interesting in that they are so different from subsequent issues. Even the logo design changes dramatically. Horrific number three is infamous as the bullet in the head cover, which was the very first reprinted, was with the very first, I'm telling you some of the typing here, I've got to really figure out what they're trying to say. Number three, horrific number three is infamous as the bullet in the head cover, which was the very first reprinted in the cover gallery. Okay, and Tales Too Terrible to Tell number one. Okay, okay, the cover's so neat, we'll run it again here. The Silent Clock is a wacky science fiction tale wherein a hapless couple is inexplicably transported to the dinosaur age. As the husband puts it, 50,000 years ago. (laughs) Talk about your bad science. Dinosaurs haven't walked the earth since, well, try 50 million years. Actually, this story may have set a record. Five factual errors in four panels. Count them. One, the tall dinosaur is not a brontosaurus. Two, the short one is not a Tyrannosaurus. Three, Tyrannosaurus is misspelled. Four, Brontosaurus didn't eat meat. Five, dinosaurs were long extinct 50,000 years ago. Wow, this issue also contains Forbidden World, a straight space opera tale. The sci-fi heavy format of this horrific is never repeated. Horrific number four contains a tale, Hating Corpse, where a guy is shot in the forehead on the second page and spends the rest of the story walking around seemingly unfazed with blood draining from the resultant large hole. Yes, you may note that the cover to Horrific Number 3 would fit well with this issue. See my earlier Ajax Farrell discussion of cover synchronization. Ring of Death in this issue is a fine piece of artwork by A.C. Hollingsworth, another one of my favorite unknown pre-code artists. Finally, the text piece, How to Embalm a Corpse, reeks for itself. Horrific Number 6 has a story, Pen Pal, with a great full-page opening splash. This uh, This degree of daring originality is exceedingly rare in the 1950s. Despite the huge output of comics at this time, certain stylistic formulas, such as beginning the story with a line of panels along the bottom of the first page, went virtually unchallenged by even the most creative artists. Horrific number nine introduces the before-mentioned team of horror hosts. Silly as they may be, this issue also contains a superb Rudy Peleus story, Wolves of Midnight. While Don Heck drew the most stories for comic media, Peleus' work is the best. The twelfth issue contains another fine Peleus story, The Deadliest Witch, a creepy tale of backwoods cannibalism. 
This story showcases Peleus in a more tempered style. These characters don't sweat nearly as much as some of his more um, frenetic heroes and villains. Plus, Marty Elkin's bloodlust is the, is the origin story of Victor Vampire. Dracula, he ain't. Horrific turned into terrific for one uninspired issue. This comic was not code-approved, despite the title change. Apparently, comic media could not escape its own history of storytelling excesses with such a simple disguise. For years, the Overstreet Guide listed three issues of Terrific, numbers 14 through 16. Well, it's now clear that there is no 15, and Terrific number 16 does appear in the indicia of a comic book. That comic's cover and the entire contents feature a mediocre superhero called Wonder Boy. Can't tell you how long I looked for those two non-existent horror comics. Incidentally, if you care any more about corporate ownership of these titles, Wonder Boy continued for two more issues under the Ajax Feral logo. Weird Terror. Weird Terror covers include some of the most gruesome ever printed in comics. All of issues number five through nine all offer some kind of terrifying murder or battle to the death scene, complete with hideous monsters and appropriately bloody and horrifying sequences. The cover of issue number eight appears on the back cover here as well, as in the gallery of the first issue of this series. Uh, that issue number six appears in the third issue of this series. Tales, again, tales too terrible to tell. In Weird Terror number one, Hitler returns from the dead to plague a disloyal Nazi colonel in Hitler's head. The story ends with a four-line poetry quote from the Rub... Uh, well, I'm not going to be able to say this right, so I apologize. The Rubaiyat... Bayat by Omar uh, Kayyam. I'm saying all that wrong, I know. Maybe Omar I got right. And who says comics ain't educational, eh? Weird Terror number four contains a two-page text feature with useful information about cannibalism, torture, Satanism, and sadism. Gee, the things you can learn in funny books. See what I mean about educational? And it's spelled all crazy. Issue number six contains a Kenneth Landau story, Decapitation, wherein Homer Bobby kills his wife in frustration over her obsession with radio quiz shows. Uh, Subsequently appearing on such a program, probably on the station WHADS, he wins first prize, his wife's head. Yuck. Weird Terror number eight offers another quintessential Rudy Peleus story, Mirror Image, a panel of which has appeared earlier. Boy, it's incredible how tame and lame comic media story titles can be. In this tale, rich, old, and obnoxious Uncle Hugo is plagued by a killer rattlesnake in his bed. He dies, but not from snake bite. Therein lies a surprise ending. The surprise isn't all that great, but the art is pure Peleus at his extremist. Check out the sweat streams. <laughs> and some of these pictures he's got from Peleus that these guys are just super sweaty. This issue contains another Peleus story about a boxer and Marty Elkins' uh, The Improved Kiss, a chronology of the greatest murderers of history, from the uh, Borges family to Hitler, of course. Borges, I guess. That's how you say that. Anyway, Weird Terror number 11 contains an atomic disaster story by Bill Discount entitled Day of Doom. Nuclear horror stories were pretty common during the pre-code horror era, also known as the height of the Cold War. This story predicts thermonuclear war and the resulting post-apocalyptic horror starting April 19th, 1987. Lucky for us, this prophet was wrong, or maybe just early. Needless to say, Weird Terror with a cover featuring three banned words, never survived the advent of Comics Code, even in censored-to-death form. More's the pity. Neither did Comic Media. The publisher's entire meager line, including a comic or Western comic and a couple of crime comics, all died in 1954. 
One last comment about comic media and reprints. A number of pre-code horror publishers succumbed to the temptation of reprising their own stories in the interest of saving money. In self-justification, they might argue, the population of comic fans turns over so fast that a story reprinted a couple of years later is, likely to be is unlikely to be recognized by fans, most of whom had only become readers in the last few months. But you won't find such excuses accepted here. Comic media, along with Gilmore, was one of the worst offenders. About 10% of comic media stories were reprinted from one title to the other. In Terrorology, I'll be cross-referencing all such reprints. So let the guilty publishers beware. Shame and embarrassment will come upon them, even if somewhat belatedly. All right, so that actually wraps up um, this, uh, you know, this uh, little bit of ter Terrorology, I guess part two, um, which ended on, what was that, chapter four. Uh, so I think what I'm going to do after this, I, I started recording this, I mean, I don't even remember when I started recording this um, episode. It's been a, a few weeks. I just have to come in and I've got to read a few pages and then I've got to go and my kid starts crying or I've got to be somewhere. And it's like, I'm not a um, a popular dude by any stretch of the imagination, but we just, our, our lives are very busy. And, uh, you know, it just it just is that way. But I think what I'm going to do is this. Instead of doing, you know... Uh, a ton of issues in a row of terrorology. I think what I'm going to do is after this part two, go back and do, um, you know, a regular episode, go back and do a different book just to kind of break it up and then maybe post a couple of, um, terrorology parts and then another regular one, um, here and there and, and just kind of see how it works. Cause you know, I, not everybody's necessarily interested in this part. Some people want to, you know, listen to the stories that are being told or like, whatever. So I think that's what I'm going to do from here on out. Uh, thank you all so much for uh, listening to the show, supporting the show. I uh, hope you enjoy. hope that you find the, the horror comics uh, history in, as interesting as I do uh, and con as interesting and confusing as, as it is to me. Um, I, I do. I love it. And I'm, I'm really, really um, thankful that uh, New England Comics Press, um, you know, put this, decided to put this into this series, Tales Too Terrible to Tell. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It, it was just a, it was a labor of love. It looks like on their part. And, um, I think it was completely worth it. So, uh, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do next time. I've, I've picked up a few things, um, that I, that I'm, it, it's, I'm having a hard time deciding what I want to do next because uh, there's just really good stuff. Um, I will ha be having a guest on the show, a friend, um, here very soon. I uh, know it's not the Swamp Thing one. It's for a different book. We're going to be talking about uh, Wasteland, issue number one. Wasteland is from uh, 1987. And that was, I believe it was a Vertigo title, or maybe, maybe a straight up DC, but it was a mature title that um, by Del Close and John Ostrander and George Freeman, we just, it goes on and on. Um, but it's a, it's an anthology and it's, it's not horror in the way that we do it or we read usually it's a little bit more of just a really strange out there but um we're going to be talking about that first issue here in the in the near future uh scheduling has been hard um on my end of course but uh we're, we're going to get it done and it's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully shake things up a little bit so um anyway uh until next time again if you want to get in contact you can you can email the show uh at horror comics podcast gmail.com find me on twitter at horror comics pod and uh, you know, send me what what horror comics you like you you like reading, um, or whatever comics in general, you know. But uh, I'm down to chat and and you know hear all about it. So 
Uh, thank you all again, and I will see you later. And of course, until then, just keep reading those horror comics.